The International Trade Commission has become a key destination for both domestic and foreign intellectual property litigants. ITC cases go to trial faster than almost any forum in the world. This presents litigants with attractive benefits but can also pose unique challenges. Finnegan attorneys Smith Brittingham and Marisa Frederick join us now to offer best practices to be prepared to litigate at the ITC. Smith, perhaps you could start us off by telling us a bit about why the ITC has become a popular destination for IP litigants. Sure, and I think probably most people answering that question would focus on the speed of an ITC case as compared to the speed of other available forums. I mean, if we go into just a tiny bit of ancient history back to the 1970s, ITC Section 337 cases were supposed to be done within 12 months or 18 months by statute for a more complicated case. That statutory deadline has been removed in some subsequent amendments. However, the cases have, generally speaking, gone around the same basic time frame. So today, cases at the ITC are generally decided from beginning to end, that is final decision by the commission, in about 16 months, 19 months probably at the outside. So you compare that to a district court case, uh, which in the U.S. average district court time to trial is something on the order of three years. There are a few faster districts, but they're not always easy to get into in terms of venue or jurisdiction. And it's pretty clear that the ITC, even from the 70s to today, has consistently been one of the fastest forums in the U.S. And everybody is always looking for a fast forum to resolve their disputes, particularly IP disputes, because you may have uh, short time frames of product utility and technological advancement, things of that nature. So speed is a huge, huge factor. And also, I think another reason why the ITC is a popular destination is the remedy that you get if you win an ITC proceeding. And the unique remedy that the ITC has is an exclusion order, which directs the U.S. Customs and Border Protection to exclude infringing products from entering into the United States. There are two types of exclusion orders. There's your limited exclusion order, which prevents the party accused of infringement from importing a product into the United States. And there's also a general exclusion order, which is less common, but um, that bans all infringing products from entering into the United States, regardless of whether or not the importer is a party or not. I've seen the general exclusion order used quite effectively in a case that I had right before I left the ITC as a staff attorney. There, there was a company called Light Panels, who was a maker of photographic lighting for the film and video industries, and they were suing a number of Chinese respondents who were undercutting their prices in the market. And they were able to enter into a number of license agreements with the major manufacturers just based on the threat that a general exclusion order could issue. And so in that case, the GEO was really effective in helping light panels protect their market share. I would say probably another factor which has been popular in the past and may now become more popular because of the new Patent Reform Act is the ability to bring an investigation against a number of parties, just kind of the way Marisa just explained, and, and against a number of products all in a single case. Under the AIA, which has only gone into effect in the last several months, it's much harder to bring a multi-party, multi-product case in a district court. You probably are going to have to file individual actions against uh, individual defendants, and you may even have to file them in different districts. The ITC is not falling into that scenario. The ITC actually prefers the case to be a single case against as many parties as possible 
all addressing the same patent infringement allegations. So in terms of efficiency and avoiding multiple cases against your, your various targets as a complainant, the ITC becomes even more attractive because you can do it all in one case. How does speed to trial benefit litigants? I think speed has a number of benefits. I mean, of course, it allows the parties to resolve a dispute very quickly. And I think that's particularly important if the subject area or the technology area is one where there's changes and improvements happening very quickly. And also, a fast resolution of a case in one jurisdiction can provide a patentee with leverage if the patent is part of a global patent battle, like we've seen you know, with the battles between Apple and HTC over the cell phones or Sharp and Samsung disputes over LCD televisions. Another reason why I think speed could benefit litigants is the threat of obtaining a quick resolution could result in a quick settlement or it may prompt a competitor to even exit the market. And I've also seen it as a way of getting the respondents to figure out design around. So speed has a number of advantages, particularly if ITC is the form where you're litigating. Of course, speed to trial could also present challenges. Could you explain why? Obviously, the the biggest issue is the shorter the case does not necessarily mean a less complex or or less complicated case. Uh, These cases in the ITC are still complicated patent cases involving sometimes multiple patents. Uh, You may have multiple expert witnesses in different technology areas. So you have to do all the processing of the case in a smaller amount of time. And that's just physically challenging for your lawyers, for your witnesses, for uh, your experts, and sometimes also for your client. You may also need to get evidence from sources that are harder to get evidence from. For example, a third-party chip maker, you may have to subpoena in order to get something, or you may be looking to get source code in order to prove infringement. And those take longer, and in a shorter case, you may end up being compromised in the amount of discovery you can actually get in the short time period. At the same time, the judges don't tend to limit your ability to do discovery very much. There are some new rules at the ITC that have not yet been adopted that will limit discovery a little bit more of the way the district courts have. But right now, it's it's pretty much the wild, wild west, and you can take a lot of depositions, a lot of written discovery, and yet you have to do that within a shortened period of time. So it's just physically taxing on your team. How can both the complainant and respondent be best prepared for litigation at the ITC? In my experience, it's extremely important for litigants at the ITC to really know the rules of the court. And there are two sets of rules that govern an ITC proceeding. There's your commission rules and there are your judges' ground rules. I believe that the commission and the judges use the rules to help move the case forward. And as a result, the rules essentially compress the time for trial preparation and they prevent supplementation or extensions of time except under very limited circumstances. Again, I stress that it's important to really know the rules backwards and forwards because if you fail to do it, The potential result could be um, preclusion of evidence. For example, if a litigant fails to timely disclose their domestic industry contentions, or it could lead to a possible waiver of a position. Obviously, the key thing from the standpoint of the lawyers involved in the case is, is organization and management of the case. Since you have less time and you have a great many moving parts to the litigation, you have to organize it in a very strategic way. You have to make sure that you staff the case early with sufficient number of people to cover each of the different substantive areas, have somebody handling procedural issues, 
stay ahead of the deadlines. Don't wait to look for an expert or schedule depositions. Plan your motions ahead of time. All of this is key to being able to satisfy this shortened time frame. And, and the more you can plan ahead and do things, if you're a complainant, even before you file the case, the better off you're going to be during the case. If you are kind of doing a read and react defense, you're going to really fall behind and run into the risk that Marisa just described about, you know, waiving something accidentally or failing to get all your evidence in and wanting to supplement and not being permitted to do that when you really need that evidence. And finally, Marisa, why is it absolutely essential to learn the rules of the judge you're practicing before? I think I touched on this before in the earlier question, but the ground rules vary from judge to judge. And they're also quite different than the rules that you'd find in district court. So, for example, in the commission, Judge Shaw and Judge Pender require initial disclosures. Specifically, they require initial disclosures on a complainant's domestic industry contentions. Other judges don't have that particular requirement in their ground rules. And so it's good to be familiar with each judge's ground rules because it's never going to be the case where they're exactly identical. So you may have one investigation at the ITC with one set of rules, but your next investigation could have an entirely different set of rules. It's very important when you get started on a case to become very familiar with the ground rules. And even beyond that, some of the judges have the same rules, but they really administer them differently. Some of the judges have very little forgiveness for failure to follow the rules, whereas a few of the other ones are a little more willing to take substantial compliance. So you don't have to just know the rules. You have to know how the judge actually uses his rules to control the case. Because if you assume, like Marisa said, that something that worked in one case with one judge will work in another case with another judge, you could very well turn out to be wrong. And in this fast-paced case, you're really going to find that you have to have made your case in the shortened time frame. And if the judge or the rules or your own lack of preparation or your own lack of experience contributes to you missing some key evidence, then, you know, you're going to end up losing. That's unfortunate because that's really not the way you want to win or lose your case. Our guests have been Smith Brittingham and Marisa Frederick, attorneys at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.